we're just going to center our message around, and that is the command to stand fast in the Lord. Let's look in Philippians chapter 3 of the Bible, and we'll begin in verse 17. Last week we looked at uh, Paul commanded in verse 15 that we be minded. He says, be thus minded. And what he was saying was he described having a forward mind, forward thinking, and he teaches us, uh, Paul had taught us how to, the, the value of forgetting what's behind. That doesn't mean you now address unaddressed things, but you address it and you put it behind you. Forgetting what's behind and reach forward, lean forward, uh, exert yourself forward for what's in front of you, for, for Jesus, uh, to zealously embrace your Christian life and stop, don't give up on living your Christian life. Keep running, keep surging forward, even if it's something boring or small or seemingly unimportant. Reach forth. Paul says to be minded as a Christian, to surge forward in whatever you're doing, in your race. It's an uphill or downhill or a beautiful or boring. Surge forward. And he says, be minded. That's how I am. Be minded that way. And now he turns and he begins a, a little conversation here from verse 17 into chapter 4, verse 1. I think that's a whole group, really. Um, the chapter-verse divisions are something that men have put in to help us kind of semi-really organize some of the thought. But the whole thought continues right into chapter 4, verse 1. So let's notice what he's saying, and we'll, we'll hone in on it. Chapter 3, verse, 13, verse 17, chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says to us, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Chapter 4, verse 1. Notice chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. So stand fast in the Lord. So if any of you, some of you guys that were in the military, they taught you a lot of things. And I think probably part of what they taught you was how to stand. <laughs> stand in line, right? How to salute, uh, how to run and how to not die, how to shoot. But one of the things they teach you is how to stand. Uh, I took, you know, when I was in ninth grade, my mom encouraged me, encouraged me, encouraged me. Just eighth or ninth grade. She said, you just need to take choir class. Take choir class. And it wasn't crazy about taking choir in junior high and singing weird songs. But I did, and it was helpful in, in some ways. But they taught you how to stand when you're singing, you know. And uh, it was important how you stand. Um, and, uh, you know, when you're playing baseball, you've got to teach you how to stand for uh, a batting stance. Uh, when you're golfing, they teach you a stance and a swing. Uh, in wrestling, when I was in wrestling in high school, that was the first thing. You better, be, you better learn how to stand. You don't stand there. Hey, man, don't copy the WWE guys. Don't. Don't do that. I never had respect for them after I took real wrestling. 
And so they teach you how to stand. You know, there's a certain way you put your, you position your feet and you, and, you, and you get your hands and you get your head and you get your eyes and, and you watch their hands, their head, their eyes, their knees. You watch all those things. And so somebody's talking on my phone here. There we go. I don't know how they started talking, but I bumped my phone or something. Yeah. So, but anyways, in sports, uh, they teach you how to stand and different, different things, whatever you're doing. Um, even throwing a, being a quarterback, of course, you, you can throw on the run and on your heels and be like Kyler Murray and be all over the place. But there's usually a traditional stand and, and, and follow through on a football throw. So this is the idea here with Paul. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. <laughs> he, after, at the end of this conversation, uh, this discussion, therefore, therefore means he's, he's, he's winding down a, a, a set of our comments he just said. It's, that's why I don't think it, chapter 4, verse 1 is separate from previous. Therefore, in light of this conversation I just had, my dearly beloved long for my joy and crown, so in the likewise, in light of what I just said, stand fastened, stand fast in the Lord. When it, means, when it says stand fast, it means position yourself uh, well for Jesus. Uh, be, uh, it means to keep good footing for Jesus. That's what he's saying. Keep good footing. Now, we have to translate that to, what does that mean now? That sounds very spiritual, but what does that mean? All right, we have to try to figure that out as we go along. All right? Keep good footing for Jesus. Now, he, again, he began his discussion back in chapter 17, he talk, or chapter 3, verse 17. He begins by saying, hey, be followers of me. Okay? So following him has to do with somehow with my, with my stand for the Lord, following Paul. Okay? And then he says, watch out for some foes. And, he, de and he, he describes some of the foes. There's many, there are enemies of the cross of Christ. And then, he and then he talked about our future. You know, we're looking for somebody to come. We're not just looking and being enthralled with people now. So something, there's three things that relate to our stand for the Lord. It's fo the following of Paul's example, being aware of enemies or foes around us. And then looking to the future of Lord Jesus Christ coming back. That's what he. That's what he. That's what poses his uh, discussion about having a good stand for Jesus, being aware of those things. Um, whenever you stand in anything, it's part of being standing is having an awareness of what's around me. That determines how I stand sometimes, right? And having your eyes open will help you keep standing in case somebody comes up and knocks you off your feet. And that's what Paul's saying. As Christians, I realize that, especially in America, and you hear me say stuff like this, but many of us stand very fast, fast in our politics. We have good, we have pol political stands, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, you should have them. They actually should be just expressions of your Christianity, really. Um, but we have, some people stand very fast, they stand fast in their politics, and everything is orbiting around that, and that's the the center of their solar system is their political conversations. And they stand fast in their politics. Um, uh, uh, and you see it on the back of their cars and, and on everything, you know, their hats and everything. Um, and some people stand fast in their, in their personal preferences. You know, they take a stand. I'm telling you, I eat this kind of food and I don't eat that kind. I want you to know that. I'm taking my stand. All right. Good. Never go to Taco Bell. I only go to Del Taco, taking a stand. What's the difference? They both smell weird. You know? But uh, I still go there, though. Cheap. So 
Uh, you know, people, we have our, I, di- I don't buy Procter Gamble cleaning supplies. Sam's Club, you know, doesn't Sam's Club sell Procter Gamble? Oh. But anyways, you know, we get our thing. I'm taking a stand in my cleaning. That's fine if that's what you want. Well, some people, they make it. That's their ba- badge of life. That's their, that's what I do, you know. And uh, some people, they, they, t- they stand fast in their preference for their food, their cars, the cars they like, the cars they don't like, their household choices. It's fine. You can do that. But it's a very strong, uh, well-known stand. Um, you know, I've been some places where it's like, you know, you don't have, a, you don't bring a certain food into somebody's house. That's okay. I want to respect that. I knew clearly where they stood. Uh, you don't bring certain smells to their house of like perfumes. And I'm not talking about bad smells. Because you knew where they, they stood on certain smells. Um, all right. Some people stand fast in their politics and their personal preferences. Some people stand fast in their pleasures. You know, this is, uh, man, I'm not missing the ball game today. Why? I watch my Duke. You know, I don't even know if Duke's playing today. But I watch, especially if they're playing North Carolina. This is all at war, you know. And some people, they stand for Duke. They would never, they don't even want to be a neighbor to a North Carolina fan. You know, there's some of us in Arizona, we're not aware. There's a lot of people like that. Uh, or the U of A. I take a stand. I am a sun devil, even though it's devilish. You know, I take my stand. I'm a wild, even though I don't like cats. You know, people, uh, whatever. I mean, people have, we have our sports things and we're energetic about. And, and it's well known. It's all over you. Your mouth, your language, your clothing, your cars, your room, your house, your TV, your schedule. Not where you stand on those things. But, you know, if you want to do that, that's fine. But you know where we're told to do? We're told to stand fast in the Lord. That means this should be evident that I am, I am, I am buttoned down in a commitment to living for Jesus and living His ways and um, loving Him, teaching about Him, obeying Him, and it's obvious. It's my stand. You know the word stand here? It comes from the word that has the idea of just something staked down. I went by the, the Chick-fil-A, you know, when they had Chick-fil-A these tents over their drive throughs the last couple of years. So many people hang out there, you know. And they, they, they just put those big old stakes right down through, the, through the, uh, uh, the asphalt. I mean, they whack them right down there and hold down. They better. I don't want that big old tent coming down on me. And that's the picture there. So, <clears throat> um, so chapter 4, verse 1, so, the end, stand fast in the Lord. That means just have a strong mentality, a strong footing about living for Jesus and not be weak about it. Uh, how many of us, you know, we change our minds quickly on stuff? You know, we change your mind. Um, you know, I used to like, uh, when I was a certain kid, I used to like certain cars, and then the next year, I don't like those cars, you know. I'm going to undo all those stickers that I had in my room or on my notebook, you know. And you, and you change your mind. I don't like. Or, or some ball player. You know, there's certain players I collected a whole bunch of his cards. This is a guy I like. And then he just turned out to be just a bum. I'm like, man, i got to sell these cards. You know, just something, you know, these guys, are, they fizzle out. You're like, man, I don't know if I can stand with this guy anymore. Or even though I had a, I paid five bucks for an autographed picture, ugh, just sell it, you know, or give it away. You know, we change ourselves, but Jesus, we can we can be attached to and and speak for and stand for and live for, and we should. 
So here's some things that contribute to that. Three factors to keep in view. I just mentioned them to you. We stand for the Lord with a following. We stand for the Lord with foes with a foe in mind. We stand for the Lord with our future in mind. Notice what Paul talks about. He talks about following him. Following the Paul helps us stand for the Lord. Look what he says. Verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. What he's saying is, hey, hey, brother, you all follow me. Watch out for people that are also following me, that are following my example. And, and let's just go this way in our Christianity. He's not saying he's God. He's not saying he's the Savior. He's not. But Paul elsewhere said, follow me as I follow Jesus. I'm following Jesus. Hey, come on, just follow me. The word, the, the word that he used there is if it was transliterated, it'd be mimic. <laughs> be mimickers of me. Mimic me. You know, the, the kids, hate, you know, you, you kids, you hate it when somebody mimics you. The little, the older brother, to the, quit, stop, quit copying me. Quit copying me. Stop it. Stop it. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And then he runs. You know, you know that? Right? He's still, he keeps copying me, mom. You know, he's mimicking. You know, I think one of the Bible time of, I don't know if they do in children's church to say, you say what I say. And all the kids say, you say what I say. You do what I do. You do what I do. And then they start copying the, the, the teacher, you know. And Paul's saying, follow me. Now, this isn't funny and cute, though. <laughs> Look what Paul's doing. Yeah. He, he lived for Jesus till he got to a prison. Well, he kept living for Jesus even in the prison. Paul lived a very you know, basic Christian life. He didn't... Uh, I, I, this is what this what this really implies is. Do I know anything about Paul? Maybe I need to read my Bible a little more because I'm told to follow Paul. Well, what's Paul been doing? You better start in the book of Acts, read Acts, sift through there. That'll give you the gist of what he did, and then you can read some of his epistles. And this is one of them. And you'll be like, ah, I need to have a Paul. I need to have a Paul style of Christianity. You know, we've classified Christianity as different styles of it. You know. When I, was a, when I was in Bible college, our theology professor came up and he says, you guys should see this book. It was, like a, it was some book that said, uh, The Crazy Wild Kingdom or something like that. And it was basically, it was talking about the kingdom of God in the sense of the realm of Christianity currently. And it was drawing caricatures of different types of Christians. <laughs> and it was funny. You know, you had like a peacock of some other person. You had like a chameleon of some compromising group that's always changing color. And he had this, and he goes, I want you to know who the funda what the fundamentalists look like. That would include us and Baptists and stuff. And, and it showed like this, and he goes, no, look. He showed different animals showing different types of Christ, Christianities um, characterized by animal. And it showed a badger with like a belt, like he won a boxing match, and it said Bible, and the badger was like this. I'm like, that's it. That's it, man. That's it. That's us. <laughs> different styles of, well, listen to me. There's different styles of Christianity. But you know what we're told? I'm not, I don't have to keep following the badger. I'm supposed to follow Paul, <laughs> which he was probably a little, he, he, he had some, he, he just did what Jesus did. And he, he laid out a, a Christianity for Gentiles and said, come on, Gentiles. This is what we need to be doing. He said, follow me. And that's what I need to do. So he says, so, so as I stand for the Lord, what does that mean? How do I live for Jesus? It means just look at what Paul's teaching us in the Bible, in Acts, and say, this is what I want to be. 
I don't have to know what my buddies are doing and follow them. I don't have to know what a trend is doing and follow them. I don't have to even follow the tradition and keep following it. I'm not told to do that. I'm told to follow just the timeless truth of what's laid out in, in Scripture of you know being a minded Christian that loves people, forgives people, gives the gospel, that tries to have a decent family, that tries to uh, uh, be an uh, integral member of a local church. He says, be followers. Did you know in church history, watch this, in church history, since Jesus started the church till now, there's been all crazy groups, okay? There's been cults. There's been uh, false forms of Christianity, tangent groups. There's always been a group that's been not exactly perfect and not always by the same name, but just what we call separatists. They weren't the Catholic Church. They weren't even always the Protestant Church, and they certainly weren't the cults. They were separatists. We call them Baptist history. Baptists go back to different names and different identities, and it's just kind of like this heritage of principles and of groups through since the first century all the way till now, gone by different names, and they don't always have to go by Baptist even now to be a true church. But you know one of the groups from AD 600 to about 11 or 1200 were called Paulicians. <laughs> one of the groups were called Paulicians. They they were they were it was like they didn't not I was reading history like they don't know exactly why they are called Paulicians. One of the reasons they think it's because the original guy that was up in the area of what we call modern day Armenia or east kind of like east southeast Turkey there was a guy who was a spiritual leader, and he got a, he had all he had was Paul's epistles, and he had some gospels. And he was a Christian somehow, and he started winning people to the Lord. And this movement started over those next several hundred years of Paulicians, and they just tended to gravitate in their Christianity around whatever Paul said, and they are characterized by amplifying what Paul said. Now, did I don't know if they put away all the uh, Peter and the other. I don't know, but I know they are called Paulicians because they they narrowed it down to whatever Paul was teaching, and they moved east into Europe and spread the gospel into Europe. That's part of separatist Baptist church history right there. And, and Paul said, be followers of me. And mark them. Notice what it says about following Paul. It helps me stand for the Lord. Mark them. That means observe other people who are kind of doing what I'm doing. That's what it says, mark them. And the word is scope them out. Uh, diligently observe those that are, that are following something like me. See, this, again, this keeps going back to, do I know what the Apostle Paul, who's an apostle to the Gentiles, says to me as a Gentile? Do you know what he's taught? Have you ever read any of the, have you read the whole New Testament? Have you read the book of Acts? Have you ever read some of his epistles? I need to know. I need to know. I'm like, I want to be the kind of Christian I'm supposed to be. You don't have to know all the other books in Christian bookstores. I'm not against reading them. You don't have to know those, though. But you've got to know your Bible. That's, the, that's where original Christianity comes from. And so I need to, I need to, so then if I see other some other Christians, like, hey, that guy's kind of like the Apostle Paul. I kind of like, oh, how, how you can um, uh, kind of gauge yourself by other good Christian examples. We need to desire, identify, and follow Paul types. Sometimes you find that in biography. Sometimes when I read a good Christian biography, I think, that's, I remember that reminds me of the Apostle Paul, you know. He's willing to, adapt his lifestyle to relate with some weird culture. Paul did that. He's willing to do uh, things that maybe would jeopardize his health to help reach a culture. You ever think about that? Some of us, we will not go out of the edge of any type of risky thing in our health because, again, this is where I stand. You know, Paul put himself out there. He, spend, he spent himself 
for others, and he was spent. And he died daily. And to Jews, he became a Jew. And to barbarians, he became a barbarian. And he just, he put himself out there. He's like, I don't have much time left on this race. I'm going to give it all out. And he wasn't so, so had his little, all of his little boxes had to be perfectly set like we Americans in order to live your Christianity today. No. Paul says, follow me. Follow me. You know, this is, this is how I look sometimes. This is what I do. I look back at my church and I'm like, is there anything in my church? Would Paul do anything that we're doing today? Like, hey, he probably would some. And then I started thinking, I don't know, maybe some of this he wouldn't. Well, then what would he do in 2022 in Gilbert? You know? And it makes me rethink. That's not a bad way to rethink. Instead of what would, what is the latest market-driven trends go? That's not the way to ask. Say, wait a minute, what is Paul saying? Well, how could I reset maybe in my Christianity here? I mean, that's the way to ask. I've even sometimes been in places. Now we gotta we criticize ourselves first. Now let's look. Sometimes I've been other places. I'm like, good grief, what is going on? I'm like, are they confusing this for universal students here? And I started thinking, would Paul do that? I don't see Paul doing that with Gentiles there, having this big old production and and uh, lights and smoke and um, purple. Concert feel. I don't, man, I just don't find that in Acts. I don't. I'm not saying you shouldn't have something that helps, like to communicate better, but man, this flashy thing, I don't know about that. Would Paul do that stuff? When I see somebody that's uh, giving the gospel out publicly, I think Paul would do that. I'm not. But Paul, I think Paul would. Maybe I should. When I see somebody hiding the gospel and just staying in their nice little cozy Bible studies, I think, oh, Paul wouldn't do that. He would do both. He would have a Bible study and have evangelism. I need to be a follower of Paul, so should you. Helps me stand for the Lord. When I see, when I see that, um, you know, again, you know, when I, think of, when I think of like some of these big, gigantic Christian productions at a church, I think, would Paul have that or would he have it plain and simple for the, for the Gentile churches? I think you'd have it plain and simple. You need to be a follower of Paul. When I see when I see Christian organizations helping the weak and feeding the poor and, and helping hospitals, I think Paul would probably do something like that. But when I see us, some of us neglect and not, I think I don't. I think I, I don't think that's how Paul would be. So I'm trying to rethink according to what I'm being told in the Bible. So should we? Well, I'm going to stand well for the Lord, stand fast in the Lord, not in my style, not in my stuff, but in the Lord. It involves knowing how the how, how organic, original Christianity was, and it's seen in the person of Paul. You know, he, Jesus started the church, got the disciples, did the work of the cross and the resurrection, then he began to exemplify particular Christianity. In Paul says, follow me. And then he says, what, so, so with a following in mind, I need to stand for the Lord with a following of Paul in mind. Secondly, with a foes in mind. Look what he says now. Now he says in parentheses, <clears throat> this is a very, you see Paul's intensity is very concerned. Look what he says in verse 18. For many walk, there's other people walk, that is they go about their life, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's saying, okay, now folks, Philippians, follow me. And then I want you to know there's many others <laughs> that are the enemies of Christ. You need to watch out for them. Don't follow them is the implication. You know how we think sometimes as it relates to enemies? You're like, yeah, I know there's enemies. 
sometimes we think in one extreme or the other. We think everybody's an enemy. If they're not like me, you're an enemy. We think everybody's an enemy. Not everybody's like you. We think nobody's an enemy. Everybody's okay. Everybody's fine. Paul doesn't say nobody's an enemy, and Paul doesn't say everybody's an enemy. He says many. There's many. Look at verse 18. For many walk. (laughs) They're the enemies of Christ. There's many people who are against what you're doing. Come into church. Not just come into church. When you leave, live like you were in church too. There's many who are against that. There are many who are against the free gospel that we express. There's many who are against the, the professing of Jesus Christ, the living out the values of Jesus Christ. There's many who are against that. There are many who are against the, 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 the life of self-denial. And they preach opposite. There's many who are enemies of the cross of Christ. And we've got to be aware of that. Okay, so let's look at this. Paul said something. He said, I've told you this often. And this is making me cry right now. Do Paul said right now? He says, now I tell you even weeping. He, I wonder if there were some drips of tears on the, the manuscript here as he was writing it. Because he said, I'm crying right now as I'm writing this parenthesis in verse 18 and 19. I'm crying. Whoa, what would make a tough guy like Paul cry? Knowing that there's counterfeit Christianity, knowing that there's enemies to the real thing, and knowing that it penetrates the real thing, it made him cry. He hopes the Philippians don't get penetrated by it. There's a lot of phony, counterfeit Christianity around. Now, there's some stuff that's just a little different. Let's be honest. There's some stuff. It's fake. It's not a real gospel. It's not a real discipleship. And it can penetrate and hurt us. And Paul says, all right, here's some descriptions of them. A, B, C, D. Whose end is destruction. The types of Christianity he ultimately is talking about is one whose there's not even a real gospel. All right? There's not whose end destruction. Um, so the Jesus, it says of Jesus Christ, he's going to come back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. For people who don't obey the gospel, to people who don't obey the gospel, message of don't trust yourself, don't trust your church, trust Jesus by faith alone, in Him alone, that saves you. People who don't obey that say, I got a better way. There's everlasting destruction, is what he says. You know, Paul describes enemies of Christianity, there is, whose end is destruction. Sometimes I see, I see Christian or religious groups, large religious groups, you've seen this, very wealthy, very influential, very prosperous have a lot of sway in some politics. And in communities, like, wow, look at this. And they're doing some good. Yeah. But if, there's, if they're absent of the gospel, their path might be prosperous, but their end is perilous. Whose end is destruction, Paul says. And there's some like that. Um, whose God is their belly? For, for the other people, they may not be the same group, but there's other types whose God is their belly. What does that mean? God is Hey, Pastor, I've seen people with big old bellies. Is that what they're talking? No, it's not. Talk- it's not talking about folks with big old bellies or you know whatever. But yeah, some people can't. Help. Hey, ladies, if you're pregnant, hey, that's anyway. So whose God is their belly? What that is that talking about? It's your appetite. The belly is referring to your appetite and all your natural, um, just <clears throat> your all your um, impulses. Who is my God? Made me with. Eyes, hands, ears, feet, a stomach, a processes to, to live and exist. 
But none of that is my God. None of it rules me. Okay? He's talking about who, there's certain people, what rules them is the appetite, the drive. It doesn't just include eating. It's all the fleshy, fleshly appetites. Their God is their belly, it says. They live for self-indulgence. Appetite rules. Whatever you desire, do it. Whatever the impulse, jump from it. You know what? You do you. Just like the, just like the billboard. You know what? You do you. Just spend a lot of money here first, okay? And that's, that's all that is, is appealing to people whose God is their belly, right? And so, you know, it's, it's so, all right, yeah, I got to take care of me. I understand I got to take care of me. I, you know, but my, my appetite I don't just drive by. All right, so Paul says, all right, let's live for, let's stand for the Lord. Follow me. Watch out for the foes. There's foes whose end is destruction. Some of them, their God is their belly. Don't be like that. And then there's some whose glory is in their shame. Look what it says. There's another whose glory is in their shame. That is, they, things that are otherwise shameful, they glory in. Things that are otherwise, that is shameful. They go, look at this. And we know a, a lot of, there's major denominations of things that were 100 years shameful. Now they're saying, look at us. You know, uh, being the, the, the sexual perversions of, of the sodomy and lesbianism that would be like, this is not right. This is not helpful. This is not natural. This is not of God. Now you have the whole denomination standing out there saying, we want you to know that we just will ordain lesbians and gay men. And they're like, they're, they're proud. They glory in that shame. Like, well, okay. Not that I hate them. Not that I don't want them saved. But I'm not going to glory in that. It's shame. There's some who mind, and then another description, who mind earthly things. As I'm standing for the Lord, I need to be aware of these things. That there's, there's a certain types of false forms of Christianity who mind earthly things. Even just culture that minds earthly things. What does that mean there in that verse there? Verse, at the end of verse 19. Mind earthly things. The, it's, it's, it's giving you a picture. The surface of the earth. Living for only what's happening on the surface of the earth. Boy, that's, that's what... Again, I, this is why I love being in the book of Revelation because it keeps helping me remember what's beyond the surface of the earth. <laughs> and in some cases, what's under the surface of the earth. But not just the common whatever man's doing. My Christianity needs to be kind of thinking and acting beyond what's happening on the surface of the earth. Paul says there's some, they just mind earthly things. Living for only what's on the surface of the earth. Earthly things versus the heavenly. Material versus the spiritual. Uh, the care of our body to the neglect of the care of the soul. I, I want to help people. I think it's true. I think it's true that we should help people more physically. And try to, we don't have a lot of people that need a lot of food, in my opinion, in this area. We're pretty prosperous. But when you can't help people with food, help people with clothing, help people on fixing something, we, we could do more in that area. But our mind is ultimately not just that earthly thing. Our mind is, I want to I mind your soul. I could feed you and clothe you and help you through the hospital. If you die and go to hell, what good is it? Right? I want to, it'd be great to go help. And some missionaries do this. Let's go get cleaner water in, in, in Africa. Yes, please. You know? And uh, the food and extra rice and all that and adopt and, and buy a goat and all that. Do that. And then beyond that, we're going to help you hear the gospel. 
So there's some who they only mind earthly things, in, 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 even if it's a, a decent earthly things. Okay, so then Paul's saying, all right, we need to stand for the Lord. Stand past the Lord. Follow my example. That means we need to know it. Watch out for foes of Christianity. And then he says, and then be with, with number three, last of all, a future in mind. With a future in mind. He says, for our conversation, look what he says, is in heaven. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The word conversation is, we've dealt with this in chapter one. It's a political term. The word, the original word he uses is a political word. It has the idea of your national belonging, not your race, but the nation you actually belong to. That's, the, that's another way of saying that word. Our conversation, your national belonging, your citizenship. Does anybody have another citizenship? I mean, speaking of this, these nations here, maybe I have another citizenship somewhere else. We're all pretty much citizens. Some people have dual citizenship. Uh, Mexico, we have missionaries who have, their kids have dual citizenship in Mexico. Not very many countries let you do that. But we have a, just a temporary, right now, all of us right now, Americans have a temporary earthly citizenship. But our real citizenship, our long-standing citizenship is in heaven. We've been looking about your city lately, by the way, on Sunday nights. We belong to the, the, city, the heavenly city that has foundations. It's going to come down on a new earth one day. That's where my citizenship is. You know, like even in, like this happened in the United States, I think, in some places. I'd certainly, England did this in history. England was all around the world, right? You know what England do? They had their nation, they had their people. And they would dispatch and they'd start making a colony in some place in Africa. They'd have a little British colony. And as an American, you wouldn't want to get there because it was a little more hospitable. But they'd have their British colonies in, in, um, in Africa. Perhaps, uh, in, I think that's, yeah, Australia got started in some ways. Um, uh, some said it was like originally a prison. I don't know. But, you know, the, the, the Brits had their colonies in different places. Did you know, like if you had a col there was a colony, they'd take their citizens and they would be there in a colony. They're in a foreign land. But they had a colony. They had a group of their citizens there located in a foreign place. But those citizens still had right and still had identity with that original land of Great Britain. And they still yielded to the laws of their king or leader from there, though they're in a different land. And they still thought of their leaders. And sometimes their leader would come and visit them. And they lived still, though they were in a different land, say the Brits in colonies in, in, in Africa, by and large, they would live by their British ethics and laws though they were in a foreign land. And Paul's saying, look, our citizenship is in heaven, even though we're down here. We're displaced. But we still need to yield to uh, the, and to be aware of our, where we really belong. What does it say about our future? We presently belong actually in heaven, but we are looking for this future person. Look what it says in verse 20. There's a future person we look to. Our citizenship is in heaven. Conversation from whence, from there, what do we look for? We look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So imagine a colony and they're doing their thing and maybe they're developing something in a foreign land and the king comes to visit. Boy, that's exciting. If a, a colony has their emperor or their king come visit, they like that. They look forward to that. That's a good thing. 
And that's what Paul's saying. Look, we're foreigners, but what we're looking for our emperor to come back and, and come visit us and find us living as if we were up there with him anyways. That's where our conversation is. And so he said, uh, we keep that future in mind. Our conversation's in heaven. We look for who? Who are we looking for? The Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, well now what's going to describe about him? <laughs> what's he going to do for us? He'll change our vile body when he comes back. Whoa, here he comes. Whoa, are going to be like him? Yep. You know, some of us were looking to, you know, you look, and it's, again, it's not a bad thing as far as earthly things go. You want to look to a dietitian to help you with your body, right? You want to look to a coach to help you with your jump shot, your, 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 your uh, baseball swing, your, your throw. I'm looking to a coach to help me with my, you know. I'm looking to uh, uh, some other person to help me with a diet that I should be able to do on my own. You know, you're looking to a plastic surgeon to help you with something. I don't know. What are we looking for with Jesus? Looking for Jesus to change my vile body. He's not going to give me a better jump shot. He's not going to give me some plastic surgery. He's going to change my vile body. I'm looking forward to that. Man, that helps me stand right now. Knowing, look, I, I'm going to get a body. He's going to, look with the language, who shall change our vile body. Oh, you thought you had a glorious body. It's vile. It's young, some of you, but it's vile. It's got all the potential of all kinds of cancer, you know, and all kinds of things. So do I. You know, it's vile. That means we're prone to death, decay, disease. Will he change it? That it might be fashioned, that it may be fashioned like unto his, his glorious body. To be not exactly, but like glorious body. According, notice how the person we're looking for, the future we're looking to, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord who will change our vile body. He'll to be likened to his, fashion, his glorious body, the last phrase says, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. You know, some of us, we have to treat some cancer. And so we go in, we have some kind of treatment, chemo or radiation, or and they've got to subdue that thing. You know, you go to the dentist to subdue your cavities. and Get this under control here. You know, and, and you go somewhere else to, sub, to get some kind of blood issue subdued and under control. And the Bible says that Jesus, can, is going to subdue all things. All when I die, whether I'm whether I'm just totally dissolved or partly, you know, have the formaldehyde and buried in a coffin somewhere, that's all right. He's going to subdue all that back to himself and give me a new glorious body because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, every molecule, every atom, every cell, every nerve reconstituted in an incorruptible state. Don't you like that? See, we're all corrupt. He's going to be incorruptible like Him. Not only that, it says He shall subdue all things unto Himself. The micro will be subdued back to Him without the sin nature. And the macro, the whole universe, is going to be cleansed and reset. Subdue all things back to Himself. That's who you're looking to. Hey, I'm looking to... The Lord Jesus Christ, who's reset everything. I'm glad for a president who's fixing a few things and one that's messing a lot up, you know, but he's going to subdue all things unto himself. And uh, so that's who we're looking for. It's just, Paul's just saying, get your eyes on Jesus. And I love that. The Bible says it doth not yet appear that we, what we shall be, but we know that when we shall see him, uh, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is when he appears. I read about, during World War II, 
A lot of stories of World War II, but in the South Pacific, there was, of course, we battled uh, Japan and in the South Pacific, and we had some struggles in the Philippines, and we had to give up uh, part of the Philippines for a while, and we literally had some groups of our military had to surrender temporarily. General Douglas MacArthur had to go back into uh, Australia for a while. Then he came back, and because he told him, I'll be back. He came back, and he helped reclaim uh, the Philippines for the Filipinos' sake and give them their place and drive out the Japanese. He was part of that. But there was another general that I didn't know about. I'd like to know more about him. His name was uh, General Wainwright. And uh, he became the highest-ranking POW in World War II. Um, he, during wherever he was at, he was in a situation where he actually had to surrender. And he surrendered, and, and uh, they, they, uh, uh, cap, they captured him. I think he may have been a three-year POW to the Japanese there in, in the Philippine Islands. And um, it says that, uh, that, that he, of course, lost a lot of weight being a POW, prisoner of war. Sure, began to be discouraged in some ways, and but it said I read that once our military started trying to send some secret messages to our guys imprisoned, and they got a message to General Wainwright, and he said once he got that message, once he got that message, he started polishing his boots every day, shining his buttons, and getting himself ready even though he didn't see it yet. And it, it, it invigorated him again. And sure enough, they came back, took him, got reversed the control there in the Philippines. And that really helped. And that's how it is with me. I'm like, man, I feel a prisoner of this world <laughs> sometimes, you know, of all the influence and just, ugh. I'm like, Jesus coming back, coming back for me and you. That helps me stand now knowing that. And so here it is, the stand. Now look at the conclusion. Therefore, my beloved brethren, dearly beloved, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. He's saying, I love you. I'm saying this in a loving way. I'm saying this in a loving way. We tend to make our stand, our footing, our emphasis be centered all around our traditions, all around our trends, all around our politics, all around our personal preferences, but all those things fade when we make I stand all about Jesus and loving Jesus, living for Jesus in the context of today, then that's what matters. I, I, I want to share with you this guy. His name's Choi Young-hoon. I don't know if he's Korean or Chinese. That's what happens when an American starts reading some of these Oriental names, okay? Choi Young-hoon, he was in, I read this in The Voice of the Martyrs. He was a Christian and this happened beginning in 1997. He began working with North Korean defectors. North Korea was one of the worst places to live. He began working with North Korean defectors in the late 90s who were coming across North Korea into China, which is still communist, but a little better. Watching them walk over a frozen river in just such a horrible conditions. He began working with them. They started providing uh, safe houses for these uh, uh, these really probably uh, illegal immigrant Koreans coming over, providing safe houses, doing some evangelism. Some of them became Christians. After a while, they wanted to go back. And they would send them back into North Korea. Some of them they'd send back into South Korea. But this is what Choi did. Um, 
uh, he did that. And then he said, quote, I knew that the authorities would one day imprison me. He made up my mind to evangelize those Chinese authorities and guards and judges and soldiers and fellow prisoners if I were arrested and imprisoned. I already made up my mind. And that's what happened after 1997. He did it until from 2003, he was arrested. Here's how it happened. January of 2003, he's riding on a train. Riding on a train, and then he sees this massive, the train stops. He sees a massive amount of Chinese police officers, about 200 of them. And they're going and checking everybody, going through everybody, everybody, everybody. And they're going through everybody. He's watching all this happen. Then they decided they're going to arrest everybody, the Chinese authorities, 200 uh, police officers. So he goes, I'm the one you're looking for. They let them all go and took him. Because they knew they were. He had, he had a friend tell them, they're coming after you. So they took him. He didn't let all of them go. And he went. And he, was, he was, got a five-year sentence for, in Chinese prison because Chinese don't want Christians helping other North Koreans in this Christianity stuff. He said his first three months, he was tortured and interrogated every day. Questions were repeated over and over. Why are you helping these people? Who's working with you? Are you a Christian? Choi's answer, he believes, was inspired by God. He says, it became a foundation for my position. Yes, I am a Christian. I believe in only one God, and I am his servant. I serve him alone. According to his word, I have done a righteous work. He said, after nearly a year in prison, he was, he was able to smuggle a letter to his family. He told his family what was happening. He said to pray for him. He told him he was okay. But after the transfer to another prison, within that first year, and then he had greater opportunities that opened up to him in prison because he already determined, if I go to prison, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. He goes to another prison and begins to evangelize his cellmates, tell them about Jesus. Many of them came to faith. He began to organize uh, uh, secret worship services in prison. Then they started surveying him, doing surveillance on him a little more in prison. The surveillance increased when they started getting the idea that there's some we think there's some secret worship services going on. Then they began to ground him up and some others whom they believed were Christians in this prison, and they began to inject him with drugs to break their spirit. He said, the guards told me to be quiet. I told the guards, if I didn't share the gospel, I wouldn't be a Christian. They said, there is no God. Jesus does not exist. No one can protect you in this situation. He said, at first, I didn't respond to the words. I decided to rely on God and to pray. I was in tremendous pain and continued, the, and the beating continued. Then I finally cried out, God does exist. He raised, he was raised from the dead and is coming soon. The Bible is truth. Choi's suffering continued. He almost reached a breaking point. He did not know how much longer he could endure. The other Christian prisoners witnessed his pain and suffering, and they began praying more fervently for him. And then Voice of the Martyrs, this Christian organization, got word of it, and it came and it spread through a bunch of different countries of other Christians, and they started sending letters to this prison. I don't know how this happened. But somehow, letters from all around the world poured into this prison. The guards were upset about it and wanted to know how come so many people in the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Europe and other countries know who he is. But after, hold, but after holding Choi in prison for almost four years of his five-year sentence, the prison, officials trainly, uh, the prison officials were trying to hide their treatment of him. The drugs and the beatings began to take their toll. So prison officials finally just labeled him as a, quote, psychopath, and they released him. 
He said, I was released early, but I was willing to spend the entire five years in prison if, to tell others about Jesus. When Choi arrived in South Seoul, Korea, his family and friends were very concerned about his mental and physical health. He barely weighed 100 pounds. They encouraged him to admit himself into a psychiatric hospital for extended treatment. He refused, however. He says, I prefer to spend the next few months in prayer and Bible reading. He said, I said to my wife and my two daughters, I don't need to go to the hospital because God will take care of me. I will get better soon. And he did. God did show favor to him. And he made a complete recovery. And as of this writing, he was still helping. And he's helping with the voice of the martyrs with things like this. You know, I look at a guy like that, I think, you know, I know uh, who he stands for. <laughs> you know, it's like this. Do people know what I stand for? Probably. But they didn't know who I stand for. That's what matters. Who I stand for. And that's the question for you. Do, do you. do we stand for the Lord like this and in, along the lines of what Paul's saying today? That's what we have to do. This is uh, Christianity is getting tested more and more in this day and age. That's what we need to, that's what we need to take with us today.